From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary stranger. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. J. Pat Brown, the executive editor of Muckrock. Uh, these are the people behind... Well, they do a lot of things, but you may recall the most recent declassification of CIA documents, something like 13 million pages. Uh, many of these documents dating back to the sort of the early days of the Cold War, uh, up into the 1970s, and uh, they they were about uh, UFO sightings. Also, the U.S. government funded remote viewing programs like Stargate. Uh, but before we get to uh, J. Pat. Brown, let me introduce the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying Guitar, my technical producer, Ian Robertson, uh, on the Rickenbacker Bass Guitar and Theremin, the enigmatic, idiosyncratic Albert Vinzel, and um, a bit of a remote viewer in his own uh, right, and finally on the Hammond B3, Ryan White. Uh, and gentlemen, I ask uh, all of you to direct your attention to the cigar box to my left here. In uh, studio at 70 Jefferson Avenue in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm giving you the coordinates. All of you listening at home, it's time for What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing uh, experiment. And if you'd like to take part, uh, you can uh, attempt to remote view the contents in this box. And I invite you to use the hashtag TCS Remote. Hashtag TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show. Remote, TCS Remote. And uh, there will be some Conspiracy Show merchandise shipped off to uh, one of you lucky uh, listeners who uh, comes closest to remote viewing what is in the box. And I'll I'll, I'll do the reveal at uh, the bottom of the hour. All right. Well, it is, uh, it's Oscar night and I didn't watch and I have no intention. Uh, if I wanted to hear uh, people whinge and complain and talk about politics for five hours, I'd just tune into the Parliamentary Channel or C-SPAN. Uh, but I thought at least uh, that we could acknowledge Oscar Knight, and uh, I thought it might be fun to offer up some memorable movie dialogue throughout the night uh, to see if the Motley crew here, uh, namely Albert and Ryan, can correctly identify the movie after listening to the clip. And we'll play these throughout the evening. Uh, why don't we just test the system out here now uh, uh, to see if the Motley crew here... Uh, I'm hearing myself in my head, headset, not sure why. Okay, so... Why don't we uh, fire off a clip? Albert, Ryan, pay attention. Greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. There you go. Over to you, Ryan. Any idea? Uh, Hang on. There you go. I, I know what it is. You know what it is? Oh, yeah. Albert, do you know what it is? Well, it's a famous quote. Is it maybe Devil's Advocate with the Keanu Reeves? You're close. It, no, it's no. It's the usual suspects. That's right. Kevin Spacey. Very good. So that's what we'll do. Uh, that's how it'll work out. All right. Our little sop to, uh, to Oscar night and our, uh, our post Oscar, uh, show. All right. Um, so why don't we, uh, before we get to, uh, JP, no, we're going to do what's in the box at the bottom of the hour. That's right. All right. So, um, back in January of this year, you guys will remember the uh, the Central Intelligence Agency. They published nearly 13 million pages of declassified files online. 
Uh, these were documents previously only available uh, from four computer terminals at the National Archives in College Park, Maryland. You had to physically go down there. And uh, the records include info on Nazi war crimes, the Cuban Missile Crisis, UFO sightings, human telepathy, Project Stargate, for example, uh, and much more. And the release had been a long time coming. In fact, Bill Clinton first ordered all of these documents uh, declassified back in 1995, and the agency complied. However, anyone who wanted to access it, as I say, had to trek all the way down to the U.S. National Archives in Washington uh, or in Maryland, somewhere in Maryland, to get a peek. Uh, and then in 2014, a nonprofit journalism organization called Muckrock filed a Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, uh, a lawsuit pressing the CIA to post all of its documents online. But the agency said, because let's face it, there were something like 13 million, it would take up to six years to scan everything. Uh, and at the same time, journalist Mike Best crowdfunded more than $15,000. Uh, to visit the archives, to print out, and then publicly upload the records, one by one, in order to sort of embarrass or apply pressure to the CIA, because I guess they had to pay for the toner and the paper. Anyway, um, the um, so now these 13 million records are available, they're online, and the CIA's information management director, Joseph Lambert, said access to this historically significant significant collection is no longer limited by geography. The agency was aiming to publish the documents by the end of 2017, but finished the work ahead of schedule. He said, we've been working on this for a very long time, and this is one of the things I wanted to make sure I, I got done before I left. Well, I'm not so sure uh, that this was uh, done without considerable prodding. However, we will uh, get to the bottom of that. J. Pat Brown is the executive editor of Muckrock. Muckrock, as I mentioned, is a non-profit collaborative news site that brings together journalists, researchers, activists, and regular citizens to request, analyze, and share government documents, making politics more transparent and democracies more informed. J. Pat Brown, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, it was actually 26 years, not six. Did I say six years? Yeah, right. They, they said it was going to take... 26 years to digitize everything, despite the fact they put the whole database together in five. Ah, all right. Now, um, let's begin with a bit of a primer on the, the origins of, of, uh, of Muckrock. Who started it, when, who works there, who funds it, that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, so Muckrock was founded back in 2010 by a guy named Michael Morrissey and Mitch Kotler. They were roommates over in Cornell. Um, and the whole idea was just to make empower journalists to... Uh, have the resources to tell the kind of stories they wanted to tell. I think that, you know, right now, especially in the United States, we're dealing with an all-time low in terms of lack of trust in the government and something dealing with primary source documents through FOIA is really the only way to get something that is unquestionably at least, if not true, at least hard to argue about <laughs> the source. Right. So the idea about Buckrock was that it would take this incredibly complicated process and sort of simplify and streamline it. Um, and then... After people sort of, in the, after that didn't really take off at the first, the journalism component basically was sort of almost virtue of necessity was the journalist using it to prove why this was an effective tool in the first place. And from there, sort of both the the archive and plat, uh, platform of what we do in terms of helping people file and then posting those documents and the actual journalism built around those docu uh, documents then sort of grew out of that. 
Um, now, I'm not sure. I actually, I'm not sure how, how FOIA works in the United States, uh, and, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I think it started with with Jimmy Carter back in uh, the, the mid '70s, right, or 1980, near the end of his term, maybe. It actually goes. So the original law was signed by Johnson uh-huh. um, in the '60s. It was pushed by uh, there was a senator in California. Uh, Moss, who, who really, really wanted this. They had one in Sweden, and he wanted to essentially have an American version of it. But the very first one was completely toothless and really didn't right. have so any... So Carter put some teeth uh, into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Johnson didn't realize who was, was dragged kicking and screaming or signing. Right, exactly. Uh, He'd be the last pers- president, I would think, that would <laughs> would be lobbying for a freedom of information. Um, no, no, he, he hated it. Right. Uh, um but uh, then around the, uh, in the 70s, around Watergate, that's when you started to have these serious amendments to the law uh, that actually started to give it teeth. And so right around Jimmy Carter is when you started to have, I think, the, the, the stronger version of the law implemented that was actually capable of sort of, say, dragging the CIA into something they could lose. And so, you know, very basic, you know, basic idea is you can... Right, you know, write a request uh, for any existing documentation, and if there isn't one of nine reasons for why they can't give it to you, they have to give it to you. That's the basic theory um, as it stands, but obviously there are thousands upon thousands of ways around right. <laughs> right. either either delaying, overcharging, or just doing whatever is possible to to, to make sure people don't actually physically get this. J. Pat um, Brown is with us, the executive editor of Muckrock, muckrock.com. Now, anyone can come to you uh, working – like you become sort of the go-to people because you've bef- – you, you guys know your way around the whole FOIA process. So if a journalist, say, let's say he's working um, for another newspaper or another news agency, mm-hmm. would they come to you and say, hey, can you help me file this FOIA request? Yeah, so we're uh, – so anyone can use the system. We're actually about – uh, a quarter of our users are journalists, um, researchers, um, and other, and uh, but about half of a half of them are just regular people who have like a question about the government and they don't know how to do this process. And we sort of have the whole thing streamlined. We have right. we write we create all the legal language they need. We have all the contact information, and most importantly, we keep track of every single communication that goes to get their documents released. So that if an agency pushes and say, oh, well, you know, I asked for clarification, you never gave it, we can show them a timestamp code of when they, that happened. And right. so a lot of different news organizations, uh, particularly, you know, David Serrato over at uh, IBT uses us quite frequently. We work very closely with people at Vice, Wall Street Journal, a lot of different news organizations tour to not only getting the documents, but also publicly post them so that anyone can see them. And if anyone ever challenges you on the <laughs> on showing your work aspect. Right. Um, it's all there, and anyone can look through it. Okay, and the the government agencies that are covered by FOIA, all federal government agencies and departments, or does it is it state or, as well, or do they have their own individual state FOIAs? So, so at the federal level, uh, FOIA covers uh, everything except judicial and certain elements of the executive. So you can't FOIA the White House, and you can't FOIA, in, or sorry, uh, legislatures. So you can't FOIA anyone in Congress. So you couldn't get a, um, a, 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 an internal cabinet memo, for example, through FOIA? Unless it was shared with an agency that right. did. Okay. Yeah. And each state, in turn, has its own variation of this of the uh, FOIA law, uh, with you know 50 different names for information, for information law, right to know law, um, you know, sunshine law in Florida. And each one of those is 
you know, very different in terms of some agencies. Some, you know, like some governors aren't exempt. Some governors are. It's a right. whole like, uh, like hodgepodge. And so what we also have on the site is a guide to each one of those state's laws and also we track all of those specific exemptions. All right. But really, the, the frustrating thing that we deal with is there's just unfortunately no there's no cohesion. You know, something that's true right. in one place is not going to be true, you know, two states over, despite there being no rhyme or reason why. We're going to head into a, a break uh, here, J. Pat Brown. And um, do I call you J. Pat or J. or what do you prefer? Uh, just J. Pat, yeah. J. Pat, excellent. All right, when we come back, I want to find out a little bit more about, for example, these uh, this latest CIA uh, dump, 13 million documents now available online. We can't say that they were recently declassified. They've always, well, they haven't always been, but they've been declassified, but now mm-hmm. they're, they're more accessible. Uh, and Absolutely. in large mar- measure to, uh, to your FOIA request back in 2014, and of course, uh, the work of, I guess, Michael Best and sort of embarrassing Mike them. Best deserves a lot of credit, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, we'll, um. What is it you want, Barry? Oh, I'm sorry, we're gonna, what my, my apologies, we're gonna play another clip here, and let's, uh, let's throw it around the horn. Our little, uh, memorable movie quotes here. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. There you go. Let's go quickly around the horn. Uh, Ryan? Uh, I don't know that one. Oops, sorry. Uh, go, go ahead. You don't no, know I don't know that one. I, right. I think I might have the It's a Wonderful Life. Very good, Albert. <laughs> All right. Well done. It's okay. a communist film. <laughs> it's not a communist film. The FBI put it, said it is. Really? <laughs> exactly in for you. Yeah, Frank Capra is a red? I had no idea. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, take a time out. We'll come back. J. Pat Brown from muckrock.com. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Coming up in the uh, next hour, the house whisperer, Scott Harris. He builds these um, echo-friendly homes for people like uh, Kevin Costner and Egg Begley Jr. Maybe you've seen the web series on Begley Street. Uh, which sort of follows the uh, travails of Ed Begley Jr. and his uh, wife Rachel building this. Uh, it's it's billed as the greenest home in America. Uh, so Scott uh, Harris will join us in the next hour. Right now, Jay Pat Brown is with us, executive editor from MuckRock.com, and um, well, they file Freedom of Information Acts or, or um, lawsuits in order to to uh, to get ga- government uh, documents declassified. Let's just uh, play another little Hollywood memorable movie clip here. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Didn't win an Oscar, I'll tell you that much. Ryan, what's that from? I, I know that one for You know sure. that one? Albert, do you want to take a try? I'm stumped to write your Ryan's It's Billy Madison. That's right, my friend. All right. Let's get back to uh, J. Pat Brown. Um, the, uh, the, um, the government department that uh, mm-hmm. is most likely uh, to receive a FOIA request? Would it be something like the Pentagon, or what would it be? So every every agency has its own FOIA office that specifically handles FOIAs. Um, so there's inside the Pentagon, there's about six or seven different FOIA offices All right. um, that each handle different types of requests. Okay. And um, in your experience, which... Which um, which agency or government department are? are oh, is the most popular? Yes. Receive the most requests. Right. Uh, yeah, the FBI by far. The they're, FBI. They're, okay. Yeah, they receive. To, to be, they receive hundreds of thousands of them a year. All right. Now, 
um, I, in the course of doing doing this program, I talk to a lot of researchers like yourself, and they are um, involved in these FOIA requests. And my gosh, I mean, they probably haven't perfected it the way that you have, uh, but they they talk about you know the time that they put into this oh, yeah. and what they end up getting back after you know it may take years is this heavily redacted <laughs> piece of paper that's practically useless. Um, I mean, how effective? Is it? I mean, does FOIA work? Are you getting the information you need, or is it? Or are government agencies basically dancing around the law? It's it's frustrating because it's you know, and a lot of what we do by talking about the subject is complain about those kind of stories where you know we wait for years and then uh, you never get anything back. But I think I, I think FOIA is not a good journalism tool in terms of being able to tell a story quickly and effectively, but it's a good historical tool in terms of if you have the time and energy, you can really get amazing stuff. And I think that, you know, talking about Mike Best, he's somebody who's been filing extensively around Watergate history, and I think, you know, he's been managed to find comprehensive proof about how much the FBI has, you know, knew uh, about participants and what was going on through FOIA by connecting the dots and being able to have the luxury of putting everything together. So I think, yes, there's going to be tons of government pushback and a lot of stuff is buried in those black boxes. But at the same token, if you look at like major stories, both in terms of long-term research and even just stuff breaking in the last couple of years, a lot of that came through FOIA. So I don't think it, it on one hand, yes, it's broken, but I think it also does a lot of damn good job for something that's broken. And the uh, the 13 million that were made publicly uh, made public online, uh, and mm-hmm. again, you launched the uh, the FOIA request back in or the lawsuit, we should say, back in 2014 to to, mm-hmm. to get the CIA to release uh, these documents. Um, have you had a, a chance to go through any of those? And, and if so, anything in particular that jumped out at you, whether that was the Yuri oh. Geller and Stargate or any of the UFO stuff? Well, so we run a, a project actually called The Rest of Crest, where just once a day we publish a new article from based off the Crest arch- archive. Um, and there's been all sorts of stuff from, uh, you know, you talk about the the you know the one we did recently was about the NSA uh, basically worried that the Soviets were going to send, use a weaponized version of the psychokinesis to essentially psychically wipe out cities. Right. So they started worrying about how they could find ways to psychically nuke-proof cities. Um, there's names of all of the uh, people on the CIA's private press pool. You know you've got um, these you know. Uh, <laughs> we found a, like a fudge recipe in there that happened to belong to the director's son, so we had it classified. So, <laughs> I mean, you get all sorts of stuff from like the fairly serious to right. um, just you know a lot. I mean, a lot of the things that we sort of lean on them is a lot of these things shouldn't have been classified at all. Uh, you know, there's a beer uh, from uh, one of the, the ones we found is a, an agency director saying, you know, thanking thanking. For a gift of a case of beer he got, but the name of the case of beer is redacted because they don't want it to be like reveal a secret source. Right, right. Every president, um, you know, campaigns on more openness, more transparency. Uh, mm. You know, that was President Obama's uh, promise, and uh, mm. but, but many critics say probably no more a secretive administration since Nixon. 
So what's going on? Why do we? Why is it progressively sort of getting worse? If I can use that term. No, you, you can. I think that it's really an issue because when I think the, the key from thing there is when Obama said he was going to run the most transparent uh, administration in history. What he meant is he's going to release the most amount of data. He didn't mean he was going to release the information people want to see. <laughs> when you think about it. And that's the thing is like this has been a real there's been a big fight in sort of the open government versus sort of open data community because the government really wants to push open data, which are these portals that say, here's how many dollars we spent on like on traffic signals in this year. And this sort of useless information that they feel meets their criteria of them being open and transparent. Right. But we don't want to know about traffic lights. We want to know about Area 51. Right. And that's the thing is that. You're never like it's based on this, this this false idea that all information releases of equal value, and so when they say, "Well, why didn't you tell us about say this phone tapping program?" They're like, "Because we told you about the lamppost. Why are we still doing this?" I think that's kind of the frustration, which is that you know for a lot of and this is you see this a lot, especially in, in the United States and the local level, is a lot of, of incredibly secretive organizations, like you know like governments will just frustratingly point you to some horrible, unupdated site from 2014 and be like, that should have all the information you want. And I think that's the idea, is that it's about, it's, if, if they feel like they're giving you that like information, they don't really care about what the information is. And I think that's the sense, is that if you can shift people towards voluntary disclosure of what they want you to be, like, you want you to know, and then away from these sort of things that empower you to involuntary get information you want, then go for it. And I think that's been the dictum for the last 20 years. Right. J. Pat Brown is with us, the executive editor of MuckRock, MuckRock.com, the website. And if uh, if you wanted to find out whether you were being surveilled by the FBI, whether they had a file on you, uh, mm-hmm. would you be able to find that out? Yes, you would have to file a privacy act with the FBI, a uh, privacy act request. And you could basically send them... Um, you have to fill out a waiver saying that you're you are the person you're saying. If I wanted to, get, I can't get the I can't get. So basically, until um, in order to get a file on an individual, you either need their permission or they need to be dead. That's why you file for so many dead celebrities. Um, if you yourself want to learn about you, you basically sign an affidavit proving that you're that person, and you send it to the FBI, and then they have to actually run a check to make sure if there's any releasable information about you. Um, they don't wouldn't mention if you're on like a secret watch list, um, but other than that, anything that's on, anything that's that's that they have, any file they have about information, they do have to hand that over. Okay, so if James Jesus Angleton was tapping your phone, they're not going to tell you that. No, and actually, that's the thing is, if you tr- request anything from the CIA for any request for any information on any individual, they'll usually give you back the infamous neither conform nor deny. I actually did that once. I was asking for the files on Warren Zavon just because I wanted to have the CIA say they could neither confirm nor deny they have files on Warren Zavon. Well, that's interesting. I mean, uh, we all know about the, the FBI files on John Lennon, of course, but uh, oh, yeah. why why would the FBI do you – are you just a big Warren Zevon fan or did you – do you have a hunch <laughs> that they're – that they were actually – No, I was just <laughs> – I was just a fan. I just, I just – I know the way – this is the CIA, not the FBI. The FBI uh, – the CIA just – if you ask for any file on any individual, they'll say they can't tell you because that would reveal – they would then have to reveal the extent to which they are surveilling everybody. Right. That's their argument. Ah, okay. So there was nothing particularly subversive about uh, Warren Zeman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the, 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 uh, the rise of, of WikiLeaks, 
Mm-hmm. Has that made in many ways, has that sort of surpassed or, or made FOIA somewhat, I don't know, obsolete? No, I think that uh, I, I think that if anything, it's actually sort of give. It's it's been a, been a help for us because one, we can just it makes it easier to explain what we do to people who don't. <laughs> we can say we're like illegal, like WikiLeaks. Um, but I think that there's always been a relationship between sort of leaks and FOIA, and I don't think one necessarily completely encloses the other because I think you're always going to have. Uh, I think both serve purposes. Both you need to take with a grain of salt, um, and I think. Uh, what, what the interesting thing about us when, we, when we're dealing with leaks, for example, is we, someone comes to us and they say we have this important document, you know, and we, can you publish it? Our answer is no, because we try to get do everything through this process to illustrate how effective it is. But if someone calls us up and says, hey, you should really ask for this, then we can follow up on that lead and use that to actually do a targeted search. And that's actually where we've had a lot of, a lot of, success. That's the key, isn't it? Knowing is, is having the wording and, and knowing the precise question to ask. So, for example, if I said if I sent a, um, a FOIA to, uh, I don't know, the, the Pentagon or something and said, does Area 51 exist or, or do they have aliens at Area 51? I mean, unless the language is precise and I'm asking the, the right question, I'm not going to get the information I want, correct? How does that yeah. work? Yeah. So I think that there's a little, it's, it, it's, there's, there tends to be a little, in my opinion, a little bit too much hang up on this in the community about getting the exact right language. There are certain things that you need to know as a baseline. You can't ask for documents that don't exist. If you wanted to say, you know, if you example said everything on aliens, that would either be way too comprehensive because it would be hundreds of thousands of pages, or they would have to actually generate a report that says, do aliens exist? What, what, you know, yes or no? And both of those technically don't fall under FOIA, so that's how that would be rejected. But by the same token, once you get the very, once you limit it to documents that do exist of a rather, you know, that are not too voluminous, it doesn't need to be any more specific than that. I think that a lot of people spend like are obsessed about crafting the perfect language and making sure they search for any indice. But at the end of the day. You know, you're dealing with another person who just basically wants to have an easy search term they can fill in and request. So my my always advice on that is that you have a question, you know, go ahead and ask it, um, and then from there, pair, you know, like work with them to try to find a better, the, the easiest way to get an answer from it. And and what are the nine? You said there were nine reasons where they can refuse mm-hmm. to release it to declassify a document. Um, as yes. we head into a break, give us some of the top, say the top three or four of the nine. Sure. So the B1 is national security. Um, uh, B6 is the privacy one. That's the one you'll see the most. Uh, that's just you can't release someone's name or information. Uh, B7 is law enforcement, and that covers everything from tactics to uh, specific ongoing investigations. Um, B6 uh, or B5 is sort of internal communications and memos. This one gets abused a lot to basically hide stuff that doesn't really need to be hidden. Um, and B9 is uh, geolocations of wells, which is one we've never actually <laughs> seen um, someone use. But it actually came up in the WikiLeaks because someone saying that we need to, like, uh, it was when, when the DNC hack, they're saying one of these emails, like, we should bury this all under, um, or no, is it the Hillary's private server? Like, we need to bury these emails under the B9 exemption because that just sounded like it was the most serious exemption they possibly could. But right, right. It actually means wells. <laughs> 
All right, we're going to take another time out here before we do. Let's play another memorable movie moment. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. All right, let's start with Albert. It's got me stumped again. Can you name the actor? Uh, No. (laughs) All right, Ryan? I want to guess uh, The Graduate, but I'm not sure. No, no, it's not The Graduate. Oh, let's go. uh, JP, J-Pat. Charlie and Chocolate Factory. That's Gene Wilder. Very good. Very good. We should send out some conspiracy show merch to J-Pat. We'll do that. I'll send him on a T-shirt. All right. Stay with us. Back with more of my conversation with the executive editor of Muckrock as we talk declassifying documents. On The Conspiracy Show, stay with us. In just a moment, uh, we're going to reveal our What's in the Box remote viewing experiment in just a moment here. Let's uh, do another memorable movie clip, Ian. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. All right, Albert. Shawshank Redemption. Excellent, sir. Well done. All right. So uh, it's time to reveal what's in the box. Albert, uh, utilizing your remote viewing protocol, what do you think? I, I'm afraid I may have to disqualify myself this week. I, I saw a glimpse of it when I was setting up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right. I, I could give a hint, though. You, no, you, no, 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 no hints. <laughs> no hints. All right. Ryan? No, I mean, I can kind of see a small glimpse of it as well from over here, so. Oh dear, we gotta do a better job closing this. Alright, closing the lid. Alright, I'm going to disqualify you both, and we're gonna go into, uh, the Twitter feed here. Those people that use the hashtag TCS remote. Uh, Mojo Family. Lipstick. Uh, that's, um, Mrs. Mojo Family. Mr. Mojo Family is guessing, uh, baseball, and, uh, they're saying hello from Colorado. Well, hello to all of you. Um, Kevin B., a black silver plastic spring. Very precise, but uh, no, sir. Uh, and then we have Tom Kruger, a coffee mug. Ross Moore, a black comb. And uh, let's see, here we are. Amanda Curran, an Oscar. An Oscar, you say? Well, how about that? There it is. It's not exactly an Oscar. It's a Donnie. I received that. Top student, Centennial College, 1992. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, uh, congratulations, Amanda. And we will uh, send you out uh, some Conspiracy Show merch. All right. Back to uh, J. Pat Brown. Thanks for your patience, J. We, J. Pat, we had uh, some things to take care of there. All right. So back to, um, to FOIA. Um, we were talking about, you know, how precise you need to be or whether it's necessary in terms of uh, constructing a question to send off uh, to a, a department and so forth. Um, that seems to be uh, one of the stumbling blocks up here in Canada, the researchers that I've talked to. Uh, I have a, um, a colleague who has been um, trying to get information out of the uh, the uh, Department of Defense about uh, some, some strange lights that were seen by uh, reported by some fighter pilots and so forth. And he really had to go back and forth, back and forth, until he sort of hit the right question. But perhaps the FOIA up here operates a little differently than down there. Uh, what are you working on? Sorry, go ahead. You wanted to, to it's, respond. It's interesting because it really it was UFO, uh, UFO researchers basically helped uh, sort of make uh, FOIA in the United States uh, based on the fact that um, they were sending requests related to sites like Area 51 and uh, they weren't running, they weren't even bothering to run searches. And they ended up actually suing them, uh, to, you know, they, they sued them under FOIA to basically say that, you know, we've, we've sent these requests and 
uh, they're being rejected out of hand, and actually those lawsuits force them to go back and actually <laughs> to run the searches. And those early um, those, those early being dra- dragged in the court in those first couple cases actually sort of spooked a couple agencies, and so now when you ask if they they actually hop to it. Um, Oh, that's good. Kudos to uh, our UFO researchers. Uh, what are you actively working on right now? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're madly off in all directions, but can you give us a, a sense of some of the FOIA requests that you're working on that, that might be of interest to my audience? Uh, sure. Um, we're running the – actually just finished a uh, piece that's running tomorrow about the CIA files on the Bilderberg Group. Um, then uh, – and what are they trying to find out? Whether they in fact exist and whether they meet? Uh, the, uh, oh no, they they actually have CIA agents who uh, or CIA people have attended the conferences. Um, they're uh, they have uh, members, uh, government members, high-ranking government officials who had not previously disclosed affiliation with the CIA, uh, who were there actually at the very first Bilderberg meeting. Hmm. Um, um, so that we're running tomorrow. Um, doing, uh, so mo- most of my thing is on, uh, the FBI, um, and I'm actually <laughs> doing a piece on, uh, a plot to assassinate Margaret Thatcher that never happened. How, what do you mean, a plot that never happened? <laughs> so, uh, the FBI received a tip from one of their informants that he had overheard them talking about a plot to, uh, two, two Irish nationals talking about a plot to murder Margaret Thatcher during the next visit, and this, sent the entire you know bureau into this massive mobilization to try to like find any evidence and within a couple of days they realized that they they didn't they couldn't find any oh. um, I mean but, but they have to uh, act on that right they have to act on a, they, on, a, on a tip like that they absolutely do it but then they then they mobilized everybody to 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 find every single Irish group in their uh, in their their local city and then to interview them and try to find any evidence only to find out that Basically, they had trusted a source who apparently had just gotten drunk and misheard two people sitting next to him. Um, and they actually um, wanted him to go under hypnosis to the, the source who said this to see if he would <laughs> basically probe his subconscious and see if he was lying. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, how much, I mean, how much uh, information is, is redacted simply because it's embarrassing? To the agency, a, a fair amount. I mean, that's the thing about the. the, the you mentioned the John Lennon files. Is uh, a lot of the, st- the stuff that they refused to release was not because it was under any of this, these uh, uh, actual exemptions that made sense. Is just because they didn't want to say how much mon- money and effort they had spent. Um, a great example of this is uh, from a bunch of CIA um, records that were released to the National Security Archive, which is a great group based out of D.C. And uh, the, a lot of them were still, uh, a lot of them had large patches that were redacted under um, B6, B5, you know, national security, national, uh, you know, national uh, internal communications, et cetera. And um, they fought back and appealed those rejections. And one of them turned out to have been a fake uh, memo about Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, basically, warning CIA agents that they had seen strange lights around the North Pole and, and to be to be alert of any sort of uh, you know uh, whether or not the, the the Soviets would go on uh, nuclear high alert if, if Santa tried to, um, and they just didn't want to admit the fact that they had written this dumb little joke. Um, but the thing there is that you can fight them on those things and win, which is a positive. 
Is there anything uh, still lurking, uh, still yet to be declassified, regarding things as far back as the Kennedy assassination that are important, that have simply been overlooked? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Kennedy assassination, um, that goes, you know, going back to Clinton, um, there, a lot of that, everything that was still classified is was basically ordered to be um, uh, declassified and released uh, by the end of this year. Um, now, the CIA has appealed this the last time their their deadline was up, and so a lot of this stuff is still sitting in sort of limbo. But we're actually trying to work with a couple CIA researchers to sort of get ahead of the CIA and essentially sort of demand that they actually release the full archive of material now, uh, oh, this year. All right. So that, you, that should be a big release around October, theoretically. Excellent. That's good to know. We'll look for that. All right. Before we head into the break, let's get another memorable movie clip. Hey, Stella! All right. A classic. And uh, Ryan? Something. All right. Albert? On the waterfront? Close. It is Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah. Jay Pat? Uh, streetcar Named Desire. There yeah. you go. You're two for two, my friend. <laughs> All right. We'll take a time. We'll come back. J. Pat Brown, Muck Rock, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Ian, memorable movie moment, please. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> All right. Albert? It's uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Dr. Strange. Very good. That, that's right. Peter Sellers, once again, playing multiple roles. You can't fight in here. It's a war room. <laughs> One of the greats. Uh, we'll get back to uh, J. Pat Brown in just a second. Uh, Albert, you had mentioned, because we played a clip earlier from It's a Wonderful Life, and you sent me this article from the Huffington Post, did the FBI believe that, that It's a Wonderful Life was communist propaganda? And um, that's exactly right. A, um, 1947, the FBI had uh, believed that it was um, there was communist infiltration of the film. In a 1947 memo by the FBI, and this would have been, I guess, uh, declassified under FOIA, uh, to the director, D.M. Loud, D.M. Ladd, Communist Infiltration of the Motion Picture Industry. There is submitted herewith the running memorandum concerning communist infiltration of the motion picture picture industry, which has been brought up to date as of May 26, 1947. With regard to the picture, It's a Wonderful Life, redacted, stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. (laughs) All right, there you go. Uh, deep, um, we're talking with uh, J. Pat Brown from uh, Muckrock, and um, w- I-, I mentioned that that was likely a FOIA request. Do you remember when that that came out, um, J. Pat? Oh, uh, they, they, the especially popular <clears throat> things. The FBI sort of routinely declassifies and, pu- and publishes that one online. Uh, um, so it might have been through that. But I also know there's been sort of, uh, especially. A lot of stuff around the FBI, the FBI blacklisting uh, in Hollywood. Um, so it's probably—I'm I'm guessing it's probably released as, as part of those. That's where a lot of where my work specifically is—is is, uh, sort of the the history of of the FBI doing exactly that, sort right. of declaring things subversive and uh, <laughs> a warrantless surveillance. What about what do you make of of um, claims that the FBI has 
become incredibly politicized. I mean, we saw what happened with Comey towards the end of um, the last presidential election. Some said he was in the tank for the Democrats, and then he was in the tank for the Republicans. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, if you look back at the history, the FBI has always been you know, very politicized. I think that, you know, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, the first director, he sort of said that he was, he, he doesn't really, he, he was apolitical. But what he meant by that is that if you disagree with him, you were anti-American. Um, right. So I think that the sort of the, the politicization of, of the FBI really, I think, is best understood in, in, in sort of context with uh, its rivalry with the CIA, which is that, you know, the CIA was always seen as sort of the more, like, educated, you know, like, more sophisticated agency, and the FBI was the more, you know, like, get their hands dirty, sort of, like, do the job necessary. And so that kind of sort of out, you know, like, that reaches some sort of very, very simple conservative and uh, and, and progressive lines there, but both of them are warped so viciously, it's, it's not really politics anymore, it's more just who lets you do the job you want to do. And after the, well, now particularly with the CIA, uh, Mm -hmm. although some say we're heading into a new Cold War, but at the end of the last Cold War, Mm -hmm. um, my my sense was that the CIA had to sort of reinvent themselves and figure out what is their role now. Uh, And it was suggested by a number of people on this program, and you've probably heard the same thing, that essentially they became uh, sort of a hired gun for corporate espionage. A gun for hire. What do you make of that claim? Any any truth to that? Well, I think that there's. I think the business of America is business. I think that that the the the, the a lot of it's very very hard to separate where, uh, especially foreign interest and corporate interest overlap and 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 where there's the the where they end. And I think that you know in terms of I think in, in many ways it's a lot simpler and a lot scarier than sort of them. Going to work for, for for corporations as much as it is, there's just a very you know a very big revolving door between. As soon as you're done at the CIA, there's a private security fund that's happy to like hire you up, and they've got these contracts, and you can call your buddies at the CIA and see if they might help you. I think that's the 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 the, the fact that there's so much money to be made by contracting. That's really where so much of this the the, the scary things start to happen. Is that you know, there's you can take everything that you got as as through your extra legal statuses <laughs> and the things you've learned, and then apply that to the private sector, and that gets a lot of people killed. I uh, I receive I would say on average two letters a month or emails a month from people claiming that they are targeted individuals, electronic harassment, uh, yeah. they're being monitored, surveilled, and so forth. And uh, in, in some cases, it's it's quite evident from the the letter that these people are, that some of these individuals are are suffering from some mental health crisis, although that doesn't rule out that they're not being Mm -hmm. surveilled. But I'm wondering whether any of your FOIA requests have uncovered uh, anything that that, that has to do with a uh, a government sort of sponsored mind control program. And I'm not now talking about, you know, the Mm -hmm. MKUltra, which is sort of supposedly ended, you know, that that was was finished. But any ongoing type programs like this? Well, I will say we get a lot of those ourselves. And I think that uh, one of the 
know, it, it, as you said, like I think that the, the, the scary thing is even if people are dealing with mental illness, it doesn't necessarily mean that what that they, there aren't these kind of programs. I think Precisely. Saw, yes. Uh, I think that they saw that once there's a person who said like, you know, I think there's a drone in my backyard, and by their everything about their uh, their letter made it sense that they weren't completely there. But when we filed, it turns out, yeah, there was a drone in their backyard. <laughs> there's there's just so much surveillance these days. It's <laughs> that, you know, the paranoid person is usually just picking up all the right details. Um, but in regards to whether or not there's an actually an ongoing mind control program, I can tell you we haven't seen any evidence. However, if you look at the NSA's processing guides for how it handles FOIAs, um, if they actually have a whole section devoted towards this and sort of targeted energy and, and mind control, and if you just ask for a blanket request on I want all your like files on touchless torture on in, on me. Then they can sort of ignore that. But if you say, "Can you please search for all the different types of mind manipulation you've done?" They actually do have to run that by a database of ongoing programs. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily proof that there is, but I do know that they at least have to double check to make sure they haven't done something before. Right, but it would be easy to to refuse based on national security or one of the other eight reasons, right? Sure, but the fact that they even keep a list and then we can prove that the list exists, um, I think that's that's a lot of what – if you're not going to necessarily get the, the, the one document that will prove everything, but what you can do is sort of build this map of – this sort of mosaic of, of pieces of the truth so you can actually sort of reveal it that way, if that makes sense. Right. And is there a, um, a charge uh, um, for a FOIA request uh, other than above and beyond sort of an administrative or postage? Do they charge you? So they, so they don't uh, at the at the if you go directly through agencies, no. We charge because uh, we handle all the sort of administrative sure. costs, and we do that just to sort of make sure to sort of break even. Um, we're so we we keep it low so that anyone can do it, but not free so that people don't send you know thousands of vexatious requests. Right, exactly. But I'm talking about the agency that that you're requesting. Agency, well. Sorry, yeah, so they don't charge technically to just file, although there are some state agencies that require you to put a deposit. However, those, they, those administrative costs that come with uh, processing a FOIA, they can charge you for that, and those can get very, very high very quickly. Right. Um, the FBI, for example, charges $15 per CD when they uh, release really, uh, responsive documents. Like this is, you know, like a, like a record store in 1999. <laughs> um, uh, the biggest one we ever actually got once was uh, someone was requesting contracts from the Pentagon, and because they don't actually archive, they don't they don't OCR their 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 they don't digitize their contracts in a way that they can search them. They said that in order to find evidence like uh, one contract, it would have to search through all of them, and that this would take uh, 15 million labor hours and cost us six uh, 660 million dollars. <laughs> oh Lord. I, I bring this up because we're almost out of time here, but uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with David Politis, the uh, the author of this, the Missing 411 series of books, where he documents mm-hmm. all these people that go missing, not only in national parks, but, I mean, these people vanish and under very strange circumstances. And um, he has uh, tried to uh, pry information out of the, the national parks uh, system for years mm-hmm. and uh, they just keep up you know keep throwing roadblocks at one point they said they don't they don't keep a list of people that go missing in their parks which just is beyond mm-hmm. you know 
I Logic. Actually just, I just did a, a piece on the uh, – someone asked for uh, a copy of all the bio labs in the, in the United States that deal with the t- highest level of, uh, of deadly pathogens. Um, and the CDC first tried to deny it on national security grounds and then later just admitted they don't actually keep a list. They don't have a list of the level five bio labs? Level four. Level four. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> that's that's which, the scary part. It's not necessarily what they tell you. Uh, it's what they don't know that's scary. Absolutely. Yes. It's. I think that well, the the scariest thing that we've uncovered under all these is not is not, it's not what they're doing, but what <laughs> what they're not doing. Uh, J. Pat Brown, uh, keep up the good work. Um, Thank you. We need more journalists like you. Muckrock.com. And uh, is there a, a f- if people need to get a hold of you? Oh, incidentally, do you have to be an American citizen to file? You don't. Uh, you, you, there's no, no citizen restrictions on filing, so Canadians file away. Okay, so if a Canadian researcher up here wanted to file a FOIA and they wanted to get a hold mm-hmm. of you, they just go through muckrock.com? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can shoot me an email at jpat at muckrock, um, or just contact us through the site at info at muckrock.com. Excellent. A real pleasure. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, thanks for having me. J. Pat Brown, muckrock.com. My website, strangeplanet.ca. That's the landing page, and from there you can go to the radio page or the TV page. Don't forget the TV uh, website, theconspiracyshow.com. Still airing uh, past episodes on Vision TV across Canada. And uh, check out the merchandise store, online store, theconspiracyshow.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Thank you.